Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, I'm Krista, and we are the Sixth Sense Society. Described by some as a ghost town due to its thousands of abandoned buildings, is Detroit, Michigan also a city of real hauntings? And what is it like for a female ghost hunters investigating there today? Tonight, we ask Hillary Stone, co-founder of the female-led paranormal investigative group Mystic Mitten, these and other questions. Welcome, Hillary. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, really great to have you on, and we're going to have a few announcements and get right to the program. All right, everybody. Um, sorry about the delay tonight. We had a few little technical issues, but hopefully those are now a thing of the past, and I guess the spirits were being naughty, so we got that all sorted out. And so we'll still get an hour streaming in, but we're going to be started about 15 minutes late. So we apologize for all of you guys that were out there waiting patiently, but we thank you for hanging in there. Um, yeah, we have a couple of great shows coming up. Um, of course, next week is our cosmic weather. And then moving into the new month, into August, we're going to have our, our first show in August be on crystals with Jeff Siegel from The Mystic Journey. And he's just an expert on all sorts of different crystals, has been all over the world collecting them. So he'll talk about all their different uses and properties and whatnot. Um, we're now over 250 subscribers to our YouTube channel. So thank you guys for the support. And uh, we definitely appreciate it. And so I don't want to take up too much time. So I'm going to cut back to Krista pretty quick here. And she is going to introduce our guests. And we are going to get right into it. So oh, uh, one more thing real quick, because he'll kill me if I don't mention it is David Ullman has a couple of really great ghost hunting events coming up at his place. So uh, theomanhouse.com is the name of the website. Um, and we're going to be there in, in the next couple weekends. And uh, I think he has one coming up this weekend. And then the f in uh, August, he has the 50th anniversary of the Manson murders. And, of course, his home is tied into that. So we're going to be up there doing all kinds of crazy things for that and chasing ghosts. And his home is one of the most active places in, in the country, according to a lot of the, the serious ghost hunters. So we're, this is a paranormal month for us with, with Hillary and everybody on. So come join us for the ghost hunt, and uh, I'm sure David will appreciate it. You get a great meal, and you get to meet some really cool people, and we get to spend the whole night running around with EVP recorders and K2 meters and psychics and everything else. So total blast. So hopefully you guys will, will see you there. All right, so I'm going to kick it back to Krista, and we are going to have a lot of fun. So great. here we go. Thanks, Michael. So, Hillary, tell us a little bit how you started um, Mystic Mitten Paranormal, as well as your um, the other co-founder, Jessica Crutell. How did you guys meet, and why did you decide to start it in Detroit? So, when Jessica and I first got started, we both kind of bonded over the fact that it was difficult as a woman to find a paranormal group or a community to um, share our experiences and feel safe going out, um, you know, 
in the typical ghost hunting circumstances at night, um, you know, in kind of creepy abandoned places. And we wanted to create a group that would be kind of like the, you know, kickoff for some kind of local community in our own hometowns where, you know, different women could come and share their different experiences, um, you know, having come from different perspectives and different walks of life and have kind of a safe space a safe space, um, you know, free of judgment, free of any concerns. And that was really why we started doing what we we do. So uh, Jessica and I actually went to school together. We went to College for Creative Studies in Detroit. Huh. And um, but we didn't know each other <laughs> at first. So I ended up sitting behind her at our graduation ceremony, and she had bedazzled her, va- or bedazzled her hat very seriously. I don't remember what she did but it stuck out. And so I remembered her and I just had this kind of inner feeling like I'm going to meet this girl again. And there's some kind of project she and I are supposed to, you know, fulfill together. And it took a couple of years and mutual friends ended up hooking us up together. And um, we got together and had this whole conversation about, you know, I'm doing these things. And she told me she was, you know, interested. She'd watched ghost hunters growing up. And so we wanted to, come together and start trying to learn and experiment and try some of these things that we had seen, but were maybe afraid, you know, to tell anyone we were doing. And it really just kind of took off from there. So we do different, um, we bring in other women on an investigation by investigation basis. We also, she and I um, travel and go to different people's homes and businesses. And so it's kind of become something that we never expected. So it's, it's pretty cool. That's really cool. Uh, I remember seeing on your website that you're also a medium, but not a typical medium. So I was kind of curious as to what that actually meant. You know, it's funny, and I, I listening to your guys' um, episodes and your different show, too, it, it, you, I've heard you talk about, you know, words and how words are kind of tricky. And I, I'm somebody who doesn't really like labels, mm-hmm. but coming into a community where, you know, people have these kind of defined roles, I felt a little pressure to kind of take that word on and use that. And the reason why I say I'm not like other mediums is because um, I have incorporated some, you know, these ghost hunting techniques with these different tools that are associated with like paranormal investigation, as you see on TV, and started combining those with some traditional mediumship techniques. And, you know, I'm very much still learning about myself. And mm-hmm. that's another thing that's been really great about, you know, this kind of collective of women that we've been able to kind of start is that other women are experiencing these things too. And it's, you know, something that seems to have much more to do with our humanity. And so, you know, maybe women have a little extra, you know, um, natural talent for it. Mm-hmm. But I think it has something to do with just the human experience. And we all kind of have these abilities. And just how you choose to develop them and explore them is, is kind of how it determines how you use them. So what is it like in Detroit? And, and how do you decide on a place that you're going to investigate? So Detroit's a very interesting place. I know we get a very bad rap. Um, and we do have our problems here, but there are so many beautiful, especially coming from somebody who likes to see, you know, the hidden beauty in things mm-hmm. or find or finds creepy and, you know, decaying things beautiful. There's so much, you know, 
that is still beautiful, needs new life, breathe into it. And, you know, just there's a ton of potential here. So when we, you know, we hear different stories growing up around here and part of our kind of like working playground for figuring out, um, you know, these experiences we're having has been to kind of explore some of these stories. Um, we have a very large amount. I'm not sure how it would compare, you know, to anywhere outside of Detroit, but we have a very large amount of abandoned homes. Um, we have very old historical homes, businesses, some of the most stunning architecture, um, architecture, excuse me, <laughs> that, you know, of the 1920s that's in our backyard. And, um, so, you know, if we hear stories that, you know, we heard growing up, we're particularly interested in exploring, we'll go check out certain, you know, places to see if there's something any legitimate to that. But also, too, there are some places we've been that we're just so inspired by, you know, the design of or the mm -hmm. architecture or, you know, like our art museum, the, you know, objects inside. We're drawn to those places, too. So did you grow up in Detroit? Yes. I have never lived anywhere else. I've always lived in wow. uh, Metro. So is Jessica, too. So she's actually stayed in the same hometown. So we are Detroit, born and raised. That's amazing. You don't meet a lot of people these days that are living in the same place they grew up. Well, at least in Los Angeles, it's a little more rare. <laughs> so, we um, love our state. Well, tell us a little bit about some of your favorite investigations that you've done so far. So I think one that sticks out is definitely, I think Jessica would agree with me, too. Uh, we did an investigation at a private residence in Harrison Township, Michigan, which is a little bit east of us along the water. Um, and what we were able to do there was uncover all of these historical records, this information. There had been documentation done by the, the Historical Society. Um, and we were able to find photographs that ended up uh, – being kind of these clues that helped us put these different paranormal pieces of this case together um, with people who even didn't live inside the home we visited. So it was a very interesting experience, kind of like start to finish. It didn't all get documented for our YouTube channel, but there was so much work that went into this. And to have this level of, we had a class day EVP, it was a direct response, this crazy voice we caught on one of our cameras. And to have all of those pieces coming together and create this perfect storm of, like, you know, the best investigation, the Harrison Township investigation was definitely one of the favorites. Was that the one with the little girls? I watched one that yeah. had the little girls. The little girl was being touched by children or little girls or was that that one? Yes. Yeah, yes. that, that so was cool. Been, yeah. I, I like that one a lot. Girl... Oh, I'm so sorry. No worries. <laughs> The little girl who had actually, she was a teenager by the time we got over there, but this is, was an experience that had been happening, um, you know, in this room for about a decade. And, and it was these little children's spirits that were coming to her and wanting her to play. And it wasn't that the spirits were, um, you know, particularly scary. It was just, you know, as a child, the strange other children in your room. And that was very frightening. And her mother had gotten involved in it, and I think she was kind of a skeptical person before this all started happening. And then she started having her own experiences. But, you know, it was so interesting to watch 
how, you know, at least just to, because we're always learning while we're doing this stuff, um, how someone was able to establish boundaries and say, you can't do this, get out of here, you can't play, and have that seem to work at least in some way for a while was very interesting for us. So have you had moments where you've been scared by something either before, I mean, during uh, an investigation or even afterwards? You know, people ask us this a lot, too. And I don't think in the moment I think I get, you know, for me personally, I get I'm very fixated on what we're doing. I'm very focused. And that causes me to miss a lot of things in the moment, too. So when we go back through things at home, there's often things we'll find. I find for myself, too, the majority of, like, the creepy experiences that I have or the unsettling moments happen to me when I'm alone. And typically in between, like, sleep right. <laughs> How could it any other way, of course. But, you know, and it's a lot of times when I'm half asleep and I'm not, you know, totally conscious and feeling in control. But for the most part, this, you know, I've been having experiences since I was a little kid. It took me a long time to understand what was going on and articulate you know, what was happening to me. Um, but for, to a very large degree, I've gotten used to some of this stuff. There's mm. still moments where I'm creeped out. There's still moments where I feel somebody watching me and I'm like, oh, I don't really like this, but I've learned how to manage it. So what were your earlier experiences? I'm kind of curious as a little girl. So it's funny. There was the one big one. We had um, my aunt come into my house and she was a psychic and did tarot card readings and various media. We didn't know a ton about it. But so she came to our house and she said, do you know there's a ghost in your house? And we were like, no. And I never really connected the dots that this might be a spirit or the things that I was experiencing at night, you know, could have anything to do with that. But so what she did was walk into my father had this closet um, where he would store different antiques he was collecting. He was a very avid um, fountain pen collector. So he had this box that he had recently bought, you know, maybe a few months before this incident happened. And she just walked into the closet, pulled this box out, and she'd never been in there before. She didn't know. And opened it up, and it had a false bottom. And inside this false bottom was this man's birth certificate. There was, like, a ring or a key. There was a couple different items. Hmm. I can't remember exactly what it was. But they were very personal items. And she was like, well, there you go. That's it. Something like that would cause it, this very ornate dust box, whatever. So whether he was attached to it or not is still up for debate, I think. But it seems to be something that this spirit was attached to. And so we were a family where 50% was like, oh, I don't know about this. And 50% was, you know, full believers. We all, you know, had our own experiences, whatever. But from then on, we referred to that room as George's room. The man's name is George. <laughs> and so I had had different experiences. I would smell cherry pipe tobacco. And I was, you know, a teen, young child. I didn't really know what that was. But I would say, Mom, I'm smelling burning toast. I'm smelling burning toast or something's burning or whatever. And then I smelled someone smoking a pipe. And I was like, that's that smell. So this man used to like, you know, whether in like a, you know, a sense of particles. I don't think it was physically he was sitting down there. I never saw him doing that. But he would hang out and he became like our roommate. It was George's room. That's George. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, otherwise, I slept in a room that was right next to me, this big winding staircase. And this recurring experience I would have was with this person who I thought looked like a nutcracker. That was my <laughs> kid brain. <laughs> And my mom had a collection of nutcrackers, and that was the closest thing, you know, I could relate it to. But it was this 
very strange experience. I would wake up in the middle of the night and my heart would be racing and I would see this kind of strange, it looked like a person a little bit, but this nutcracker guy going up the stairs and he would disappear and then come back up the stairs and disappear. And it was so strange because we lived in a newer house, you know, hmm. it wasn't an old historic home. But so I started doing some research a couple years ago, having remembered that I had this experience and come to find that the land that my parents' house was built on was a very significant location. So our whole subdivision was a significant location in like the French and Indian War. And so looking mm. at these uniforms of these soldiers, I could see how I thought ah. that was a nutcracker person. That's amazing stories. Wow. You, you found out about it early in life. Um, so another thing I was wanted to ask you about are your, your equipment that you use. What are your tools that you like to use? What are your favorite toys? So I have a particular love for spirit box, um, devices. So, you know, whether that's like the portal style device or your shack hack devices, I've experimented with that a little on my own too. Um, you know, I've always liked radios and I've had a couple strange experiences, you know, on non-spirit box hacked radios too. And so I think it was natural that I kind of fell into using those and experimenting with those. Um, I love the K2 EMF meters. Um, we have a new one that has digital display. Anything that lights up and can get anyone's <laughs> attention. So much fun. <laughs> that is true. The, they, they really are very seductive. I remember, you know, I was kind of dragged into going to a lot of these um, events with, with Michael and our friend David. And um, you really do get interested in the, the, the equipment part. It's really fascinating. And you're right. The lighting up is very uh, seductive, I guess. So you, you're, you're a nonprofit, though, so you will investigate in your area if people ask you. Is that correct, that you go out if someone has a haunting and investigate it? Yes, absolutely. So all of our investigation activities, as far as, like, client services, we would call them, are free of charge. So we are, you know, we consider the fact that we're learning along the way, and we get to kind of, you know, um, use our equipment, do some experiments. And then also um, help. You know, we're coming from a place of wanting to help the people that contact us and, you know, even the spirits that are there potentially um, with these people. And so we do um, different activities outside that we're starting to kind of get going, and we don't really feel the need to charge for our services. So we like doing that that way. That's wonderful. You do have a great YouTube channel. I'm just going to give a shout-out to it. It's very well done. You can see the previous um, investigations. I watched a couple. I liked uh, the Witch's Ball one in Memphis, Michigan, but I wanted to know what the teddy bear was about in that. The I think it's called the Boo Bear. Yes, that is Boo Buddy. So Boo Buddy is an EMF meter. Um, he's got all these different wires in him, these different functions. <laughs> it's so funny. So what he's designed to do, he has this preloaded bank of phrases and questions, different things that he says. And if you leave a recorder in his lap or nearby him, he'll go through his questions and try and um, entice the spirit to leave an EVP in response. Um, the theory is, too, you know, if you had some kind of child spirit, potentially that might be an easier, you know, thing to talk to. But I don't know about you, but the talking teddy bear thing is kind of creepy. It is. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> it totally. But I could see I could see where it could work in the right situation. Um, I also watched recently the, the whole story of the ghost of the blue lady. And I've always liked in all these um, ghost hunting shows, I've loved these stories and legends, even though some of this was particularly horrible. But 
it is really part of the whole, um, I guess, lore of ghost hunting is the history part. And you do that very well, too. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny. I think you know, to kind of go back to one of your earlier questions, one of the things that I in particular notice is a certain kind of bias towards women in some of the ghost stories that we hear. Uh, you know, even featured on paranormal TV, it's often there's some witch or, you know, some horrible woman who was this miserly person and then, you know, people harassed her and burnt her house down and whatever. And when we started to really dig into, like, the historical facts of some of these stories, what we find, you know, is different situations like domestic abuse, these oh. awful things that, you know, these stories have, you know, kind of taken on a life of their own and maybe given these poor women kind of this horrible reputation. And like, I wanted to explore that and think about trying to do something about that, or at least presenting, you know, the facts or an alternative perspective. Hey, you know, maybe look at it this way. If that was you, you know, empathy. <laughs> that's really interesting. I could see that happening because regular history books have a slanted view. And that's a problem with a lot of um, different groups, minorities and the, of course, Native mm -hmm. Americans, especially. So that's really interesting. And, and do you find, no, I, I was kind of um, interested in the fact that you're an all women's ghost hunting uh, team because it does seem like most of the TV shows, it's very masculine. And I, I, I used to think, well, wonder why that is. Is it because of all the tech? No, it can't be. Is it, is it because they stay up late? Well, I have friends that stay up late. So what do you think is the reason for that? I mean, obviously, there'll be more interest now, but what do you think is the reason for that in the past, even? You know, I think some of it has to do with who's holding the microphone. And um, I don't know, you know, if you look at how some of these shows are produced and, um, you know, the level of involvement of the people, um, you know, like if you look at something like Ghost Adventures, to use an example, all of them had a filmmaking background, and or at least initially. And I think when you have the power to create your own show or your own art, we'll just call it, to use a broad term, um, then it's like people have the choice to um, tune into that. So I don't know that it's like a lack of female investigators or an intentional lack of representation. Um, I just don't know that anyone's really stepped up or had a group where there was a woman taking a leadership role. I think that's kind of what's been more rare. You know, you see oftentimes when there is a woman, they, you know, kind of take the traditional uh, role of like medium or psychic um, and you know there could be something to the fact that maybe some women are intimidated and in getting into you know tech things but what I found and what you know we found together is that female investigators are everywhere and the people you know the target market for paranormal media and a lot of this um, stuff is actually women and so I think it's just someone's got to step up that's great do you have a question Michael yeah, um, just a comment, really. But uh, find my own camera here. The um, when we're at David's, you know, he has his ghost hunting events up there, and I have to say, the majority of the people that go are women. You know, there there are a few men, um, but I would say that seventy percent are, are probably actually women that are into the ghost hunting, and it's really cool. And so I, I do think that women in, on TV as ghost hunters are maybe a little underrepresented. There's the one guy that hang, the one woman that hangs out with Jack Osborne. I forget her, her name now, Cat or something. But but really, there, there's a handful, and and I think that that's a misrepresentation. I think that in the ghost hunting world, there's a whole lot of women involved. I think you're right, totally. Well, I think it's going to open up even more. You know, I think it's becoming more women in, you know, in the industry anyway. Or they have money and they want more women. And 
And you guys are leading the way, or gals, I should say. <laughs> uh, I also liked your, your mission statement. Uh, answers for those who seek, help for those in need, light for those lost in darkness. Tell me a little bit how you came to that. I hoped you would ask me about this. <laughs> I've never had an opportunity to talk about it. So, um, you know, without getting too in the weeds here, um, you know, that to me represented kind of the three tenets or the three missions that Jessica and I uh, were needing to fulfill. And so we wanted to, you know, answers for those who seek women, you know, even men too. We have men around us. We're not stuck in the gendered thing. But anyone who was looking for answers, we wanted to provide a safe space and an open space to explore those things. Um, and, you know, help for those in need, being helpful, providing a service, leaving people, places, things better than we found them. Um, it's one of our main motivators. And then the light lost in darkness is, I see that as kind of applying to people on both sides of the veil. So, you know, uh, a lot of times we'll come into certain situations and we'll help people um, strengthen their own emotional protections and their own psychic protections, um, you know, and in certain cases, we do feel like, too, we are able to kind of help spirits, too. So anyone who's lost in any kind of darkness, be it emotional, you know, the void, God forbid, whatever, that's what we're, we're here to explore. I, I especially love the last part, because I agree with you, because I've gone to enough uh, ghost hunting adventures the, the part that you can also help the living and in some ways you can help is it's a place for people to talk about their experiences very openly. Uh, some of them are fairly scary, I've heard, and have a very supportive audience. No one's going to laugh at them or make fun of them and help them to, if, especially if they have a, a gift that they don't know how to use uh, or just get, you know, some encouragement, that kind of thing. Because I thought this is very much for the living and the, the dying, in a sense, helping. Definitely. So let's see, what else can we talk about tonight that would be interesting for our audience? Um, I did want to mention one thing that's, you know, I love synchronicities. We did a show on signs and synchronicities. So I, when I was younger, I lived in, we lived in Michigan. We lived in uh, Midland and Bay City for like only a year. And it was in Midland, I believe, I was probably in my third grade. That's where I had the scariest and only real visual ghost story um, in my childhood. I had these terrible nightmares and I would feel like someone stroking my neck at night. And I, I told my father who, you know, he thought I was just having a really bad nightmare. So I, you know, he tried to help me with it, but at least he didn't, you know, not believe me. But one night we were going down the steps and I saw this like man, it, to me it was a vampire because I, I think I'd watched Dracula, but I probably wasn't really a vampire. And he was like in the window kind of glaring at me. And I, I just screamed and pointed and said, there he is. <laughs> it was like as plain as day. And then later my dad said he, he really felt that house was very creepy for everybody. So it, it probably was a haunted house. And I don't know if he moved for that reason. We only stayed there for a year. But I said, well, it was in Michigan that I had my first real ghost adventure too. <laughs> so. Oh, buddy. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because not a, not a lot of people live in or visit Michigan. It seems like. Um, well, I don't know if you guys know, and um, for the benefit of Hillary, but we broadcast our show from my Masonic lodge, and it's haunted. So, if you're ever out in LA, we'll let you ghost haunt our lodge too, which is really cool. 
but it's um, one of our past masters, we think. The activity didn't really start until he passed away, and he used to do all the cooking for everybody, and he was the caretaker of the building and everything else. And and people have actually seen full-body manifestations. And one night we were um, leaving, and we were the last ones out, and we locked the door. And as we're pulling out in the car, Krista says, Michael, Michael, stop. You locked somebody inside. And she said, plain as day, you could see somebody standing inside the, the glass in the door. And she actually made me get out of the car and come back in. And of course, there's nobody here. And then another time, we were having an event in our, our dining room, and, and they were sort of facing the kitchen area. And I was giving a talk and, and standing with my back to the kitchen area. And Vito, one of our friends, said, as clear as day, you could see somebody peek around the corner, you know, the head and shoulders, uh, as, as plain as day, you know. So we've had that. And, and it's all kinds of little things. I would walk into a room, and he'd be sitting in the chair, and I'd just about jump out of my skin, you know, because <laughs> he, was, he was just being startled as, as Harry would just kind of be there all of a sudden. Um, and just out of that corner of your eye, all that stuff that happens out of the corner of your eye you know, that just catches you, you in some way. I guess the rods uh, do a better job than the, the cones or whatever of, of catching things. Um, so all that, that kind of weird stuff that's happened. And then Krista, was, we were here with um, Rick McCollum from the Hollywood Ghost Hunters. He did a show for us, and so he brought some of his toys, and we were ghost hunting the lodge. And so upstairs where Harry had his office, she had the K2 meter, and, and she would say, is this Harry? And it would light up, and she would ask a bunch of other questions. Nothing would happen. She'd say, this is Harry, and it would light up again. So we're pretty confident that that's who the ghost is. So if you and, and Jessica should make your way to L.A., we'll definitely let you ghost hunt our lodge too. <laughs> amazing we're all about that <laughs> so i, I, I love did when they're oh, go, go ahead on, no go ahead i love when you're able to especially that's why we like those k2 devices so much and emf devices it's like you can have like sort of conversations there's a you know delay or lag but when it becomes very clear that you're getting like a you know light up response to your questions or you know when certain things keep happening that's so cool it is, and especially when nothing's been happening for a while and you're just trying to get something. Because we were going around and nothing really big. We went in the lodge and around the halls. And and I, I think I decided to go upstairs because I thought he might have gone upstairs a lot. There's a, an office up there where he might have worked. And uh, so it is really kind of exciting, I have to admit. And it's, it's fun to use those tools. Now, another thing, and, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but one of the things we did notice when we were doing kind of the one ghost hunt here at the lodge is the lodge would meet typically from about 7 o'clock in the evening and everybody would be done about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And it seemed like as we got towards the traditional time the lodge would have closed that the activity died down. And it was almost like they were still following the same time schedule that they would have been on had they been alive, you know. And, and so they would start getting active around 7 o'clock when we first got here, and the place would be active early in the evening. But by, you know, getting close to midnight, it seemed like it would completely go quiet and die right down. So do you find that spirits actually perform not just, a, you know, I know the different kinds of hauntings. There's the idea of the residual hauntings and the intelligent hauntings. But in the intelligent case, do they actually not just follow the same patterns in a sense, but also the same time patterns that they're active when they would have been active in life and, and quiet when they would have normally been quiet in life? I think there's something definitely to that. And I know, um, you know, I don't know that I've ever thought of it super consciously, but like we, uh, you know, have tried to make a case at least amongst each other too, that like there's no reason why you can only do these kinds of things at night or why there would be, you know, only activity happening at night, especially like in that case where there's a reason for the timing. Um, so that's like too, like when we go into different um, cases, if there's a specific time like during the day where activity is happening, we want to be there at that time. 
So, I mean, there certainly does seem to see evidence that, you know, suggests that something like that might totally be the case. Yeah, that's a really good point about doing things in the daytime when you come to think of it. I, I did see another ghost once in the daytime, and because it was daytime, I first really thought it was a person, and it was uh, when I was working over at the Bodhi Tree Bookstore as a reader, and there was a little place where there were chairs that you would sit and wait, and I walked by the front because I was on break, and I, I saw someone sitting there waiting for me, and I thought, oh, I better hurry back in the back and get there, you know, and do a reading, and I got there, there was no one there, and I was quick. It wasn't like, you know, I saw anything or heard anything, and it was like a little old lady, <laughs> I remember, but it was so normal. That's, that's why it didn't even occur to me. It was daytime, and you know, you don't see ghosts in the daytime, do you? <laughs> I guess you can. That's so funny because every, you know, thinking about it, every experience I've had where I've seen some kind of physical manifestation or at least I thought for a split second, oh, that's a real person, and it threw me for a loop was all during the day. So I've never actually seen anything like that at night. I have different experiences at night. But, I mean, it makes sense, you know, that person would have been doing things during the day, and that's normal. So. Yeah. Now now I want to go hunting in the daytime and see what happens. I sometimes use that ghost radar on your phone, and I, I've gotten some really strange words. And I got my mother's name once, and it was, it was significant when I got it. I was working on, I think I was working on getting my DNA tested, and I was filling out the form. And, and oh, that wasn't when I got my grandmother's name. And it was really accurate. And so sometimes the names on the ghost radar are because my mother's name is Veronica. And that's such a oh, you know, wow. specific name. So I feel like it can work sometimes. And other times it seems just completely ridiculous. <laughs> sure. You know, I always joke that, it's, well, I guess whatever, say that like, spirit finds a way. And so even if you have some garbage tool or something that's been tampered with beyond, you know, the point of reasonably, reasonably believing in it, um, you know, sometimes those things can still work. So, you know, but that Ghost Radar app in particular, I've heard a ton of stories. I've used it a few times, too. Um, and that is one that has me questioning the things that come out of it much more than others, just because it is so specific for it. We'll start to put together, like, sentences. If I'm watching the words that come out in that order, it'll put together a three-word sentence. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's kind of odd. So there might be something to that one. Can you um, talk us through, I know you're a medium as part of the group, um, and your process. How do you psych up and what do you do and your specific process? I know we have obviously a lot of our audience that's interested in mediumship too, and I know it's not about John Edwards kind of, you know, your granny wants you to know everything is fine on the other side kind of stuff, clearly. But, um, but as I said, just talk us through your own process as you kind of get involved in a ghost hunt and how you psych yourself up and what kind of things you, you do. Too. I think especially in Western culture, we've kind of um, really gotten married to the performance of mediumship as being like the example of what that means or what it means to kind of commune with whatever this energy is that like people like me are able to connect with. Um, but, you know, I don't do anything super specific to start off. I do whenever we go to investigate the whole day before I just kind of dedicate to myself and, like, if I've gotten any kind of inkling or, like, had some dreams or any visions of something specific that I should do to prepare for the, you know, the specific situation we're about to walk into, I'll do it. Um, you know, I'm a very messy, like, ritualist. <laughs> so I'm kind of all over the place. I do think, you know, to kind of speak to, like, the cons of approaching things that way, I have noticed 
that this stuff, when we do an investigation, the energy affects me before and after. And if I'm not mindful of, you know, not being reckless with my energy, I'll get exhausted for an entire month afterwards. So I'm working on this. I probably need to spend some time coming up with a routine and being a little less reckless, you know? <laughs> yeah, exhaustion does seem to be part of the psychic phenomena in different ways. We have that even doing readings, this level of exhaustion that happens, and it's important to take the time to replenish it. I, it, you know, I, I do think that probably taking good care of yourself before and during will help, but it also seems like you're going to be tired in some way, even if it's not mm -hmm. in a month. Right. It is inevitable. And that's something that I've just kind of like learned, I guess I would say, um, you know, different situations, especially now we're doing things, uh, you know, investigations with a much greater frequency. And so it's kind of like this marathon running rather than just sprints where I can totally exhaust myself, say, spirits, you can take my energy. It's fine. I'm going to go to sleep, you know, and I can't do that anymore. Now, do you, you said you had dreams sometimes. Do you have dreams before sometimes and, or dreams after uh, an investigation? A little bit of both. And, you know, it's, I have to be very mindful about writing everything down, otherwise it's gone, because it doesn't always make a ton of sense. Uh, what I'll notice sometimes is that, you know, when there ends up being a spirit that we connect very intensely to or, um, you know, have a considerable amount of communica communication with, um, Sometimes they will choose, it seems, to, like, visit me beforehand, and I will have um, dreams with different, like, symbols that end up making sense later on, or I will see people. I will have dreams about, like, that kind of feel like I'm traveling elsewhere and I'm with this, like, that instance with the picture. I had seen, and, you know, even Jessica's husband ended up having a dream, and he is, like, you know, the most skeptical person, not interested wow. in any of this. Um, about this little girl and you know remembering these significant details she had this hair bow I remembered her clothes and how they looked and when we stumbled across this picture of these children at the schoolhouse that used to be on the land there's this little girl with the dang bow and the same dress and we were both like oh my god like I'm chill thinking about it right now that's amazing. I love those old photos that you blend into your investigations. They really are. I mean, they're so cool. Old photographs really are, but it really brings it out in a way. It makes it very touching and human. It's funny, too. You know, I think part of the reason Jessica and I are so attracted to the pictures and we collect so many of them, too, is that we have found that it's kind of like a, a window into that person and oftentimes especially with the super old photos that might have been the only snapshot of that person that exists or ever exists it's just because you know those pictures were so expensive or mm. they haven't survived or no one kept them and so like you know having these snapshots of these people or these portraits of these people is kind of like keeping uh you know a little line to that person so there's definitely an emotional connection with just photographs you know in general and that's why we love using them so much you know, you're right. I just recalled when I was younger and I'd go to sort of the old time psychics and they often had this technique. They'd hold your hands and they wouldn't say anything. You didn't ask them any questions at first. You ask at the end and they would want to look at photographs of people uh, and then they would just talk about that. So I just recall that because not a lot of psychics do that anymore, at least that I know of. 
was doing that before I even realized what I was doing. And I mean, only in the last two years or so have I ever like, you know, sat down to do that intentionally. Um, so there does, I can't explain it. Don't have the words for it, you know, or even the parapsychology, you know, theories for it necessarily. But there is something to that. There is some kind of energy that we're able to pick up on, be it like I, sometimes I look in people's eyes very intensely and I just kind of float off and I will get things that mean something to the person I'm sitting with or, you know, that have some significance to the person in the photo. So it's an interesting thing to just experiment with and go in with no expectations. Now, in terms of um, coming back to ghost hunting a little bit again, of course, most people's exposure to it is television, as you said, with ghost hunters or who I guess are coming back on the air on A and E. We're going to have ghost hunters back again and all that stuff. So, um, so that is kind of what they they see, obviously, and that along with hunting Bigfoot and things of that nature. Um, but in terms of real life ghost hunting, do you find that the stuff on TV is similar or that it's kind of a little exaggerated for TV and the real world doesn't quite work that way? So kind of just walk us through, with, you know, again, what you find is the, the comparison between the two. Sure. So now we've never um, participated in any kind of filming or any, you know, been on the behind the scenes uh, kind of crew or anything to see exactly how it goes. But as far as what you see and how that compares to, you know, how things play out in real time, one of the most common comments we get um, is like, oh, this wasn't as exciting as I expected. Or they expect something huge to happen or many events to happen in quick succession. And the reality is it's pretty much like sitting in a boat and waiting for fish to come. And you have to kind of entertain each other and just wait and let the equipment do what it does. And be open to trying different things and just seeing what happens. Because, you know, it's, it, definitely TV does have a tendency to make it look like um, there's a ton of activity activity happening all the time. Mm -hmm. And reality is a little slower. It's a little calmer. But it's still there. It still happens. You just have to be much more patient. Yeah, it's really true. Uh, and it's a nice way to kind of get to know people. So I've been especially the last time we've gone up to David's house, there are a couple people we've met and really clicked with and really enjoyed getting to know their stories of how they got involved and what they do. And so it's, it's an interesting way to just connect with people with similar interests as well. Um, yeah, I, I would second that. I think that literally ghost hunters are some of the nicest people that we've met, and, and they, they're just cool and fun to hang out with and sociable. Um, and from so many different backgrounds, it's really neat. I was doing a couple of tarot readings. We were at David's and for this guy and this woman, not related. but And it turns out that the guy had been in the CIA and the woman was currently a naval intelligence officer. And so and these, they're totally into ghost hunting. And, and how cool. And again, obviously very intelligent people, you know, and, and we found people from all walks of life. But but there is something that it's just they seem like good people. And and I know in, in terms of getting back to us when we're planning shows and hoping for guests and stuff, they're just some of the best people to communicate with. And so I think if you get the chance to hang out with ghost hunters, you'll make a lot of great friends. I, I think ghost hunting is is one of the best social activities in the world at this point. So I second that. It's true. It really is. Um, so oh, I was gonna. I just gonna. That went out of my head. I was gonna ask you something about. Oh, what if you wanted to start your own ghost hunting team? What would you suggest for newbies? You know, I would even say. Gosh, you know, my first piece of advice would be. 
don't be afraid to explore things out on yourself. Obviously, you know, safety is a consideration. But there is so much you can do just with your cell phone and a notebook, going to the cemetery and just seeing what happens and walking around and seeing the different things you feel. Um, you know, so I don't even think people need to um, feel like they have to be in a group or start a group to do different investigative activities or ghost hunting. Um, so if you want to do paranormal investigation or explore ghosts, um, you know, anything like that, just go for it. You don't need another group. Um, but that being said, if you do want to form your own group, um, it definitely helps. <laughs> you know, people are tricky. It's like herding cats. That's the reality. <laughs> That's what you don't see behind, you know, the scenes, behind the curtain. Um, but if you have somebody in your life, even online, people you can share your photos with or your videos with, I mean, there's so many ways to participate in, like, the digital community of ghost hunting, too. If you don't have anyone in your neighborhood or, like me, I'm totally spoiled five minutes away, Jessica, you know, if you don't have that, it's okay. <laughs> You're right. There's definitely a lot of Instagram ghost hunters, too, and you can connect all around the world. And if nothing else, you learn a lot of history. Totally. That's like, it's one of the nicest unintended side effects of it. If nothing else, when you visit a historic location, if there's no ghosts, you leave with this amazing appreci appreciation of, you know, this place. And we love that. We're all about like, you know, the daytime history too. It's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And and some, I mean, some of the buildings that are investigated obviously are pretty amazing. Some are, are certainly a little scary looking. <laughs> right. <laughs> it depends on where you're going, I guess. So what would be your one of your, let's see, funniest moments? Do you ever have any humor when you're ghost hunting? Oh, totally. You know, it was funny to listen to some of your other episodes, too, that other people have experiences of, like, sassy spirits or, like, jokey spirits. And, like, at first we were like, is this just us? Because you see on TV and it's like, oh, get out, go away stuff and we would get these very like snarky or sarcastic comments coming out of some of our tools particularly the spear boxes we were like this is great like i feel like we're sitting and having tea and so we did try and do that just to see what would happen so you but, had you had you know, a tea party with ghosts yeah <laughs> oh my god that's funny <laughs> how did that go you know it was so funny we did about an hour and a half um and we let the equipment run in it with Jessica has this giant baby doll. It's this old baby doll. It's like broken. It's terrifying. It's got <laughs> weird hair. It's like that creature in Toy Story that that bad kid makes, whatever. Anyway, so she called the big baby and she brought the big baby to our tea party. And this doll was sitting in between us. And for about 45 minutes to an hour, nothing's happening. None of the equipment's going off. Nothing's coming out of the spirit box. And at one point, I just had this thought, like, is this doll scary? And it just came through, lights up like a Christmas tree, and we start getting these responses. And I'm like, did we scare you? Oh, my God, we didn't mean to, and it's going off. Like, we freaked out whoever was in the basement. And that was, we didn't expect that at all. <laughs> well, yeah, some of those dolls, what is it about dolls that can be so creepy? <laughs> it's like when you think about it. 
I have one yeah, like that. Are. I put it somewhere. I hid it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that brings up another interesting point, too, is that, you know, spirits sometimes do seem to attach to objects. And, and uh, I know there was that show on the haunted collector that would go around and collect all these haunted items. But it, it does seem like that, that, that certain objects do seem to hold energy for some reason. And, and then um, the, another question, which, again, to speak to, to your region of the woods um, in Detroit. I know that Detroit did go through some hard times there, obviously, that was on the news, and there, there were a lot of people that lost their properties and their jobs and parts of it that became almost desolate. Um, and I was wondering if the emotional impact of that, there had to be clearly a lot of emotional energy associated with that, and, and how did that affect things on a paranormal level in Detroit? Did, did energies feed off that sort of negativity? Did it bring out a more negative aspect and maybe some of the darker energies that you might encounter, um, or did it not change it at all? You know, it's tough for me to speak to that, too, because we have never actually, or, you know, just to speak to my own experiences, I've never encountered anything that I would consider, like, super negative or demonic or anything like that. Um, you know, so much of what we find is misunderstood if it's freaking somebody out. And, you know, that misunderstood energy is like a constant vibration here. And there is definitely something to be said about that hum. I don't know how to, you know, I can't find the words for it, but there is this energetic hum that, you know, whether it makes it, you know, the, any activity more negative or more positive necessarily, I'm not sure, but it contributes, certainly. Now, do you find that there's more, like, of a certain gender of a ghost that you that comes out, or is it kind of equal, more female, more male, when you do your investigations overall? I think it's totally equal. I think we have a very even mix. Um, you know, I have noticed recently, and I don't know if this is due to an energetic change or just the places we've been going, um, we've had a lot of male spirits, um, you know, where when I started and when Jessica and I started with the spirit boxes and different tools, it was mostly female energies or, you know, at least the majority females who were coming through. It seems like they're, you know, it's like, they choose to speak to you or not. And so there is some kind of element of like a like attracting a like. So sometimes we'll get, you know, sometimes spirits will swear. Sometimes <laughs> they'll make kind of lewd comments. <laughs> so it happens. And that, I've been noticing that a little more recently. <laughs> <laughs> the loose mouth there. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, they were people. So they're going to be like people. I think, exactly. I think going back to the TV part, I think they always want to make it look scary and dramatic for ratings, personally. That's why they sure. leave out most of what happens with the paranormal. Right. <laughs> well, and it is. I mean, you know, especially if it's like if you're not doing tricks or dancing or entertaining or whatever, you know, there is a lot of sitting and just watching the dark room or listening to the dark room. And I can see how that's not good TV. You know, yeah. you want the spectacle. So I think, too, to kind of add to my answer to your question earlier, I do think that they choose um, particular tools and equipment or methodologies that have, uh, you know, pack an, a visual punch mm. because that looks good on TV. So th I don't know that they're faking things all the time necessarily, but there is kind of a conscious choice. This will look cool on TV, so let's do this, which, you know, whether or not that's bad is up for debate. I guess they might edit some, too, obviously, to put it all Certainly. together so quickly. That makes sense. 
dead air. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't have dead air. <laughs> I was waiting for the next person to talk. I was. I was trying um, to wait. It's a story I wanted to share with Hillary that I think she'll find interesting. And we talk about full body apparitions. And uh, I've seen things, obviously, and I'm convinced beyond anything that there's something beyond the physical. And I don't think any of us that have been in this for any length of time believe otherwise. Um, but there was a lady I worked with or well, worked with and was friends with, and her name was Bev. She was a little rough around the edges and kind of a practical joker and a character, and she worked at a little convenience store on the back shift, and I, I've often told this story. And I got to know her over a period of time. And then one year she invited Krista and I to her home for Christmas, and, and we'd never been to her home before, so we went because we had no family in the city. And we get inside, and there's pictures of this teenage boy everywhere in candles. It turns out she had one son who was a teenager who was killed in a car accident. She never told us about it. I never even oh. knew. Um, and I'd known her for a long time, and she'd never mentioned him. So after she knew that I, I knew about her son, and I was into weird things like tarot cards and probably was going to make fun of her, we were talking one night. She said, you know, the strange thing happened one night. She said, I was standing here at the, the cash register, and this car pulled up, and this guy got out of it with a long coat on. He walked up to the door, reached for the door handle, and he froze. And standing inside, plain as day, was my son and my father. And he said, and they looked at him, and he looked at them, and, and you could see he was scared, and he... He, he didn't come in the door. He got back in the car, said something to the guy driving, and they drove off. My son waved at me, and they vanished in front of my eyes. And she said, and about a half hour later, the cops came in asking if I'd seen the guy. He had a shotgun under his coat, and he beat up the clerk up the street and robbed that store instead. And she started to cry when she told me that story. So if ever, and the reason I know that she wasn't exaggerating is that was her sacred thing. You do not joke about your sacred thing. You don't exaggerate about sure. it. You don't make stuff up. And so, you know, we talk about the power of, of spirits to, to, to be intelligent. I mean, clearly that's an intelligent thing. That's not a random thing, you know, and, and they had no even particular connection to that particular place, but they did to her. And so I think that that was, you know, I cried, you know, as she was telling me the story, you know, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. so things like that, again, I think are not going to happen every day, but... But, you know, I think that the idea, and we're talking here at the Lodge, we, we've seen full-body apparition of one of the members here and whatnot. I don't know if you've ever, have you seen apparitions or spirit people, or have you personally had those kind of experiences? Yeah, you know, I think, I am, like I said, I'm still kind of figuring out a lot, like a lot about what this means to me or what these experiences are. And so I have, it's like you described earlier, it's like little flashes. Um, I have seen people, like, there's one experience that, you know, I always kind of reference when I talk about this. I saw this woman. I was coming down the stairs into this basement. This was during the day. And I, it was like a physical person, like a solid person that I saw. It was a woman in, like, a robe. And it was like she saw me and I saw her and we both, like, were embarrassed. It was like, oh! Like, and I was just, I thought I had walked in on a woman, like, doing her laundry, getting dressed. But we were in a hardware store, so that wasn't, you know, hmm. normal and that wasn't really happening. But so then she just kind of disappeared. It was like I blinked and she was gone. But I had this burned image of her. I could have sat down and draw it or drawn it. I don't know why I didn't. But like, so, and that, I know that to be a spirit. I've had other experiences very similar to that. And it's, I don't know what's going to happen. It just happens. But as far as like a full standing for several seconds hovering there, I have never seen any kind of manifestation like that yet who knows maybe i will but it's always very quick and fleeting and it has it, it's always kind of the same yeah i think the ego has trouble processing what it sees because when i've seen whatever i've seen even afterwards i'll go did i really see that especially the one in the mm -hmm. lodge i was like yeah i 
I really saw, I just thought it was a person. That's why I think I really trusted it because I really didn't even occur to me it was a ghost. I was like, oh, look, there's someone there. Just forgot. It wasn't a floating sheet. Yeah, and it wasn't a floating sheet too. (laughs) And it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't have any, you know, negative energy to it. It just looked like a person looking at me. And I think that's what happens a lot is when people see spirits, maybe they don't even know that they've seen one because they're just ordinary. They're not doing anything provocative or sassy at the time. I did meet someone in Nova Scotia when I was there. I lived there um, for a little while where I met Michael. And there was a young woman came to me and she said she always could see spirits. She's the first, only person I've ever met like this. She never went into being a medium. And she said it was really annoying a lot because she'd be going about her day and they'd be following her around. And and it seemed so believable because of that. It wasn't, none of them were really scary either. It was just like someone bugging her too much. So I don't know how she got to, you know, live with it because she was still quite young. But she, since she was a little girl, she said she always saw spirits. It, it is interesting, too. It does seem to, like, differ, I guess, from person to person. And maybe, you know, it's how well you've cultivated that ability or anything. But it's funny, too. I often wonder, like, when people say, that they're like seeing spirits all the time or constantly if it's if that seeing is your word that you're using to describe it mm-hmm. because it is kind of a multi-sensory experience. You, you can probably relate to this too it's like a it's a i don't know a sense that we don't really know much about and so maybe the words that people choose um to describe that or whatever is more about like you know their experience rather than like physically seeing stuff like they're there you know but I don't know I just guess no that's really a good point that I I think there is um your mind's eye where you can see things too and that's legitimate like so that happens a lot for me if I'm doing some kind of deep meditation and I don't see it clearly what it seems like the way I describe it is like a negative like those old film negatives the image yeah. is close to that. Even that, it's not quite clear, but it feels like a negative imprint. In my, and, and I think you can learn to get more clear, but that's how I'm at right now. And that's, so you're right, maybe that she used that word and maybe it wasn't quite like me visually seeing, you know, you or, or Michael, not sure. quite the same. And but like, it's, you know, the one, that's interesting that you say like a photo negative too, because like I always think of it as like a transparency, like, you know, an overhead transparency, like, oh yeah, like yeah. A, seeing eye book in a way and there's like layers to it so it's like if you put a transparency over my reality i would see that person and so sometimes that does happen you know during the day or randomly but it's not you know the magical realism i would like to live in <laughs> that, that's a really cool idea i really like that because it it goes with the idea that we have these filters we need to survive or we if we saw everything we'd all go crazy <laughs> and you can totally. learn to open up your filters and that's what you know cool that's what some it. people do naturally and some people learn to do it's supposed to be a, obviously a um a side effect of meditation and spirituality is some psychic abilities opening up or, or you know perceptions of what really is around you i also remember edgar casey who i was very I'm very fond of of him as in terms of, you know, his teachings and who he was as a person. He was not able to see clairvoyantly until the end of his life when he could see literally more and more spiritual things when he was awake and not have to go into that deep trance to do his sessions and readings. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's, I, 
some people will say I've had this conversation recently, even, you know, that the idea is, too, that just given with time, I guess, you know, all human people, it's like as you near, you know, the end or get close to the end of your life, it's like this veil is lifted a little bit. You can see some more. So even for like the everyday person, you know, and not an Edgar Casey, like it seems like there's something to that, which is interesting. Yeah, it makes sense because you're getting ready to transition as we are now. It's coming to the end of our show, and we thank you so much, Hillary. We're sorry about the technical abilities early, folks. And to contact Hillary, it's www.mysticmitten.org. Is that correct? That is correct. And we hope to have you back. We thank you all for watching tonight, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>